right. You didn't see that coming this morning, did you? <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 8, verses 16 through 19. And with this, we are in the portion of the Exodus story where God is getting his people out of slavery in Egypt, and yet at this point he has sent word to the Pharaoh of Egypt multiple times through Moses and has even started sending plagues, and yet the people are still in slavery in Egypt. Not out yet. Um, And so far, we've had several things that uh, have taken place, and the plague happens, and then... Pharaoh's magicians are like, oh, we can do that, and they do the same kind of thing. Like, this is, these are just magic tricks. Today that changes, and from now on that won't be the case. Um, but before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for uh, your word which you have given to us. God, we do thank you uh, that, that you hear our prayers. And God, we thank you that uh, through your word we can hear from you too. God, we pray that you would help us to continue uh, the ongoing conversation that is a part of an ongoing living and loving and trusting relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 8, starting in verse 16. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground, and throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on the people, on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Turning into our gospel reading, Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through uh, 33. We are in the portion of uh, Mark where it's telling us about the um, the last week as Jesus comes to Jerusalem and then or comes to Jerusalem on Sunday and is uh, crucified on Friday, resurrected the following Sunday. We're in that week, and uh, so he's in Jerusalem as we pick up the story today. It says they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you this, and who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John was really a prophet, really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Jesus said, 
Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I uh, have mentioned in both our Old Testament and Gospel reading uh, kind of where we are in the story as we go through the story of Exodus and as we go through the story of uh, Mark and then we get to Revelation. And so the question is here, where are we in this story? And, um, and we have to remind ourselves kind of what is this story? And so I want you to think about when you, when you think about prayer, when you think about not only prayer, but how Jesus taught us to pray. Do you remember some of the things he said? In teaching us how to pray, it's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, just, just that part right there pretty much explains where we are in the book of Revelation. As you go through the beginning parts, we have seen a lot of people and creatures of all kinds singing the praises of God, hallowed be your name kind of things. And now we're kind of in that portion of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is what we've been talking about with, you know, when you look out at the world and you say, okay, I read in the early chapters of Genesis that God created this world good. And then I look around at the world in its current state and I go, well, it doesn't seem, I mean, you can still see there's good things, but it doesn't seem all good like it once was. As the end of uh, Genesis 1 and beginning of Genesis 2 and the seventh day is completed. God steps back from the whole creation project and he says, ah, this is very good. And we look around now and we go, well, I can see some things that aren't very good. Is that stuff easy for you to come up with or do you have to think for a while before you come up with the not very good stuff? Probably not to think very long, do you? There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of ways in which our relationships with each other are not what they're supposed to be. The ways in which uh, our relationship with God is not what it's supposed to be. And the way in which the relationship to the creation itself, not what it's supposed to be. We find sickness and brokenness in our bodies. And we go, this surely is not the way it's supposed to be. Not the way it was created. And so we see all this brokenness, all this pain, all this heartache, all this struggle and conflict And we go, well, so we back out of just our immediate situation. We look at the whole world. We see it's not just something that's going on in my life. This is something that's going on in your life and your life and everybody around the world. And we see the same kinds of issues. And we go, well, if this is a global issue, if this is something that is affecting people everywhere, this brokenness is all over the place, then does that mean that God created everything good in the beginning and then it just all falls apart and that's the end of the story. And what we've been saying is that is one way to see it, but that's not the biblical way to see it. The way that the Bible tells the story is that the creation was originally created good, but that it is fallen, that it is broken, that it has been distorted and corrupted, and that that's not the end of the story. 
And so the whole rest of the, since Genesis 3, the whole rest of the story has been not only about the showing the corruption and the brokenness in the world, but also of God's insistence on redeeming the whole of creation. And so when we are praying in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of what we're praying for, is the restoration of the creation project. And what Revelation is giving us is images um, and pictures and symbols to help us understand what that means and how we get from the brokenness of creation now to a world that is restored where we do have heaven and earth united again. People in right relationship with God and with each other and with all of creation. A kingdom where there is no more sickness or death or sorrow or pain. And that is the kingdom that is coming. That Jesus had declared was already in part here but is not fully here. And when it fully comes, that is when uh, we will experience that in fullness, though we see signs of it even now. And this is where we are in the story. Um, In Revelation, in chapter 8, we had looked at, uh, in chapter 5, chapter 4 and 5, the singing the praises of the only one who's worthy of all praise. And we saw God seated on the throne of the universe. He really is still in charge, even when we've seen churches that are experiencing persecution and suffering and hardships. But God still is on the throne. He is still going to do something. And then we see in uh, chapter 5 of... He hears that there's a lion, a lion of Judah, who is conquered, is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And he looks and he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain. This is how the lion actually reveals himself is as a slain lamb. And this lamb then takes the scroll and starts breaking the seals. And as the seals get broken, we start seeing a lot of things that look like uh, destructive forces. And we're going to see an awful lot more of that as we go through the rest of this book. But I showed a video last week, and I tried the week before, uh, about a painting restoration. And it was a painting that was painted, it was a good painting in the beginning, but it had suffered from a lot of years of uh, neglect and mistreatment. And so it was broken down and damaged, and the picture was faded. And so you take it to this expert who knows what they're doing, And a lot of what they start doing looks very destructive. But all he's doing is getting rid of the things that are ruining the painting so that it can be restored. And that's what uh, we keep trying to keep in mind as we go through this, of how much there is that is actively destroying God's good creation. And how if God is just, if he really is going to do something to restore his creation, he's got to do something about the things that are destroying his creation. Right? which may put us in a bind (laughs) if we are those who have joined forces in destroying relationships with ourselves and God, ourselves and each other, ourselves and creation. And that's part of what we've already looked at at our time of prayer confession is our acknowledgement 
that we all have joined in with that. But none of us has only contributed to the good of all creation and never once to the brokenness. But we've all contributed to brokenness. And so if God needs to get rid of all the things that are causing the brokenness, that means he needs to get rid of us too. And that's what puts us in a bind. Because on the one hand, we look out and we say, yes, we want the good to come. We want it all to be made right again. And we don't want to be destroyed along with those who deserve to be destroyed, which, if we're honest, includes us. And this is the other part of the story. This is the other part of the prayer that Jesus teaches us. Not only give us this day our daily bread, but forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Right? Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so it's a get the evil out of me and <laughs> get me away from the evil. And this is what this book of Revelation is showing us, is how God actually is going to do that and how he does that perfectly in a way that only he can. And yes, it uses lots of strange pictures and symbols and almost all of them are coming from the Old Testament. We've talked about that a lot. Here's where we are now. We have uh, looked at the breaking of the seals on the scroll and we see all these destructive kinds of things happening and we get to the uh, breaking of the sixth scroll and it looks like this is absolute final judgment. There is no more hope and yet all of it has been a warning of a way of saying come out from the uh, from joining forces with the brokenness, the destructiveness. Come out of that. Don't side with that anymore. And uh, and so it is a call to repentance. Then we get, after the sixth seal is broken, there's sort of this pause of, okay, so who can stand? Before the seventh one comes, the seventh one is going to be it. No more chance. So who's going to be able to stand when the final one comes? And then we looked in uh, chapter 7, and we see it's those who are in Christ. Those sheep... <laughs> who are following the Lamb as their shepherd. That's who. And then, look at this. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. There we go. I love that, uh, that this begins by saying, when he opened the seventh seal. Here it is, time for final judgment. It says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Can you imagine what that would be like?
Okay, kind of like that. But less awkward. Because I don't think it's just a silence of no one's talking. I think there's something to that. But I think that this is the silence. It's like the calm before the storm. You know that expression. That's what this is. There is a, a silence that is here that is just filled with eager anticipation. This is the silence that comes when the people have been calling out and praying to God, how long? How long is the suffering going to continue? How long are your people going to be uh, treated in a way that is not right? How long are you going to put up with the people of your church being killed because of their testimony to Jesus? How long? And, and the answer is wait. Because there, there will come a time where he will not put up with it anymore. But the initial answer was wait. Because for now, that is going to continue. More people will be killed. There will be more suffering but only for a time. And then, as people continue to call out, as people continue to sing his praises, even in the midst of such suffering, there comes this moment where it is clear that time is up and that God is about to act definitively in judgment on all the wickedness. And in this moment, all the crowds go silent as they're like, oh, what's he going to do? <laughs> All eyes are focused on what is God going to do. All ears are tuned to what is God going to do. How is it that God is going to deal with this once and for all? And the attention is all fully there and therefore silence. This is, I've mentioned before, how so much of this comes from uh, the Old Testament. You have in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7, Be silent before the Lord, before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. This is um, the day of the Lord language of that final judgment. Be silent before the Lord. Again, in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. In other words, when God has begun to move in this way, everybody else, all the advice, all the ideas of how God, let me tell you how you ought to be running the universe, it all stops. (laughs) And we look to see what's he going to do? And so uh, there's this silence. And in the midst of the silence it says, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. This is leading into the vision that will come next. We're not quite there yet. We'll talk about those trumpets more. But then it gets back to another angel. When a golden censer came and stood at the altar and was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. And it has been uh, put forth, I think there may be something to this too, 
that uh, during this time of silence, one of the reasons for the silence is as a way of allowing God to be able to hear all these prayers. And so you see the, the prayers coming up with the smoke of the incense as a way of uh, kind of visually or sensorily, I don't even know if that's a word, uh, <laughs> getting the picture across of the prayers coming up to uh, the throne of God and having his full attention. And then we get the response. And in the response, time's up. That is the response. That God is um, not slow to act, but he is very patient, as Peter tells us. Wanting everyone to repent. But at some point, time is up. And this is what we're seeing here. And what's really interesting is that it says the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up uh, before God from the angel's hand and then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. We'll see an increasing progression of these kinds of things coming from the throne as we have um, earlier I think in chapter 4 maybe... We saw the uh, peals of thunder, the rumblings, the flashes of lightning, and now we see the same thing, but there's an earthquake also. The end of the next section, we'll see the same thing, but with an added hailstorm, and, and it just keeps building. But what's interesting here is that it does seem like what's being depicted is that the judgment that comes on the wickedness of the earth actually and is specifically connected to the prayers of God's people calling out for righteousness. Calling out for his world to be made new and good. And so we talk about you know God hearing our prayers and how he answers our prayers and they're three ways that he answers the prayer, right? Yes, no, and wait, right? And it seems like this is the moment where all those prayers that have been getting the wait answer don't have to wait anymore. And so when we have been praying day after day, week after week, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in one way or another, we're told, wait, wait. The John is being shown in a vision and us being shown through him that there will come a day, as the rest of the Bible depicts, there will come a day when there will be no more waiting. And of course, in that day, time is up. There will be no more waiting on our side for God to, uh, to act to get rid of all wickedness. But there will also be no more waiting of God waiting for people to repent. Waiting will be over. And uh, that is when wickedness 
and brokenness will finally be dealt with. And things will begin uh, to be made holy, good, and right again forever. We'll see a lot more of how this all takes place, but if you skip to the end of the book, that's exactly what you see. Is heaven and earth united again and all as it was supposed to be from the beginning, but having been redeemed. And as I say, we'll see how we get there in the rest of the book. Uh, But for now, a couple things to note. One, God is not uh, slow to act, but he is patient. And he's patient for our good and the good of those around us. So we ought to be praying that we would be patient with those around us as well, but that also that we wouldn't be slow in our um, acting when it comes to repenting. We should be those who are quick to repent. We should be the first to admit our own mistakes to God and to each other. We should be those who are seeking righteousness in this world, starting first with our own lives. Remembering to pray, as Jesus taught us, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven others. And then, remembering that he hears our prayers. And that one day, his will will be done. And that is something that we can either um, dread if we are trying to hide from God, or it is something we can eagerly anticipate if we are fed up with the brokenness of this world. If we are fed up with the brokenness that has been so heavy and obvious around the world, but even often in our own lives. And if we are looking forward to the end of that, and therefore gladly willing to join up with Christ and follow him where he leads and as he leads, then this is a day to look forward to with eager anticipation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for all that you have made. And God, as we um, hear of a judgment that is coming uh, that can sometimes seem so um, dark and hard to hear. So God, we pray that you would help us to remember who you are as the one who is um, true and right and good, who has revealed yourself as one who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that you are the one who has the authority and the character to judge in absolute rightness. 
I would pray that you'd help us to um, to look to you, to learn from you, instead of trying to advise you and armchair quarterback you as you run the universe with the only true and right perspective. God, we do pray that you would help us to not only remember the words that you taught us to pray, but help us to pray them, to really mean them, and to seek to live them as we live in relationship with you through Jesus, who taught us to pray. Saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.